listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. Just a moment, I'm going to drop this on you. I feel like it's uh, in the phase of what we've been doing. This is a very important next step uh, for this ministry to continue to fulfill what God has called us to do. And um, that's why we worked so hard and pressed forward to, uh, to make it happen. Because as you'll see in a moment, um, our, the Bible says fruit has to remain. Hey, West Falloon, love you, man. He's coming from Maine to West Virginia, Pastor West Falloon, coming from Maine to West Virginia to be a part of the camp meeting. The Bible says that our fruit needs to remain, that we need to make sure that what we're doing for the Lord is lasting. And that's so very important. And uh, so today we want to make an announcement to you about what we're doing next. And of course, you guys know we've been uh, going on TV now for the last, has it been two months now? It's been almost three months. No, it's been over three months, over three months. We've been on television now for over, yeah, that's right. So that's the week after three months. So we've been on television now for three months. And I think a month and a half of that at least has been around the world. Um, And so now that we're on television around the world and we're seeing people saved, we're getting, I get them to my phone. When people are getting saved, they're actually filling out the form on our website, letting us know that they made a decision to serve Jesus. And we get those, we see those, what nation they're in, Uh, their name, the ability to follow up with them. Um, And so because we're seeing people saved, what is the next logical step? Well, obviously we want to disciple people uh, in the faith. We want to raise them up in faith. We want to raise them up in wisdom. We want to raise them up in strength and equip them uh, for what they're called to do. So we're very excited. And this is what we're announcing today. We are announcing the Miracle Word Digital Discipleship program that's going to be worldwide. We're going to be able to instantly uh, disciple people within just a few clicks. We'll be able to get them into a program where I'll be teaching them the basics of the faith. And we've got a promo video to show you. We're so excited to launch Miracle Word Digital Discipleship. Hey, it's Ted Shuttlesworth Jr. And I am so excited to share a brand new free resource with you. We're calling it the What's Next Digital Discipleship Program. Many of you have probably heard me talk about the fact that now that our television broadcast is airing around the world, we wanted to have a way for new believers to be discipled no matter what nation they're watching from. Many Christians are wondering, what's next? Where do I go from here? That's what this course is built to do. Answer the basic questions of what it means to be a Christian. We're covering foundational topics like what does it mean to be righteous? Why is it important to pray every day or study the Bible every day? Why is it important to be part of a local church body, to be water baptized, to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? Those and other questions are answered in this course. You know what's wonderful is that we're also putting this into your hand as an evangelism tool. Maybe you have friends that are newly saved or loved ones that wanna go deeper 
in their walk with Jesus Christ. This free resource can really be accessed from anywhere in the world. If you'd like to find out more about what's available for free, go to miracleword.com forward slash next. Miracleword.com forward slash next. You're a part of a ministry that is discipling people around the world. We don't want people to just pray the prayer of salvation. We want them to be strengthened, to be built up in faith and equipped to do what God has called them to do. And so the What's Next Digital Discipleship Podcast is accomplishing exactly that. Go there today and find out more at miracleword.com forward slash next. Very excited to launch the What's Next Digital Discipleship Program. And uh, what we've done is that we've made this a free course inside of Miracle Word University. And so all of the videos are found in the What's Next course inside of MiracleWordU.com. So all the details, as you saw in the video, all the details are at MiracleWord.com forward slash next. That's where we're sending people when they get saved. We have a heart and a desire to disciple people around the world and make sure, as I said in the video, they're not just praying the prayer, but that they're growing in faith, that they're learning the foundational principles of the scripture. And that's what we're called to do. But as I said, I want to make this point one more time. We are putting this into your hand as well as an evangelism tool. Maybe you have people in your life that they've been asking you questions. And sometimes I've had people say that to me. You know, I've got people that ask me questions about uh, different things we believe and, you know, why we believe this or that. And uh, I don't necessarily have any resources to give them. And then they'll say to me, do you have any books to recommend? Do you have any resources to recommend? Well, now we do. We have the What's Next Digital Discipleship Program. So here's what's cool is that you get to have uh, all of the videos. Of course, anybody watching or listening, you can go through them at your leisure for free as well if you'd like to do it. It's totally up to you. It's absolutely free. doesn't cost anything. Um, but it's different videos. And here's what we did. We kept each subject very short. So each topic, whether it's righteousness, the importance of prayer, the importance of studying the Bible, the importance of church attendance, every video is 10 minutes or less, right around that 10 minute mark. Uh, so that it's, it's really consumable by anybody, whether it's a, a new believer, that's a young teen, doesn't matter the age, doesn't matter their level of knowledge in the Bible. It's at about 10 minutes per video. And we've got 11 different episodes, uh, that are inside the course to cover the main topics, uh, that we feel like you need to know as a new believer. If you'd like to check it out, miracleword.com forward slash Next, we're going to put it in the comments section for everybody to see miracleword.com forward slash next and uh, use it for those that you know that need training that have questions. That's why we're making it free. We're putting it into your hand uh, to be able to do that on top of having the videos. People like to do these things or listen to them on the go. And maybe people aren't going to do all of them necessarily by the video, but we've also created alongside of this an audio podcast. And so this whole course is also available in a new audio podcast that we launched uh, entitled the What's Next uh, Discipleship Podcast 
Um, it's available right now. It's live right now on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, and on Google Podcasts. And obviously, Aaron said I saw it on Podbean because I'm sure Aaron Leo follows us on our Podbean channel. So yes, it's on Podbean as well. But I don't know that anybody ever uses Podbean for anything. <laughs> I, I don't. Uh, we just use it to get out of the major platforms. But it's on Apple. It's on Spotify. It's on Google Podcasts. So anybody can get a hold of it and they can listen to it on the go. And then, of course, the videos are there as well. Um, inside of, uh, I think it's, I don't know if you, did you put it on the, every video, the, the stuff underneath, or is it just on the first video? On every video, if you look at the notes below the video, you will see uh, links uh, to different resources that we have that will be a massive help for any new believer. And, and you guys know this, obviously. Um, we put out pretty much everything that we release is free. And so um, it's, it's really exciting because uh, we've even talked to pastors around this country. You know, there's a lot of pastors that maybe they're just starting their church or maybe uh, they don't have the current resources. They don't have the staff. They don't have the time uh, to do these personalized uh, discipleship programs. We're going to make this available to any churches that want to use this for new believers. And uh, we have had some discussions with uh, Feed the Hungry that we're also partnered with um, to not only feed the hungry, but to see people saved around the world uh, and give them the opportunity. They've, they've expressed interest in wanting to use this discipleship program when it became available and now it's available. So we're even working to put it in the hands of those that are going around the world uh, to see people changed by the word of God and the power of God. So I'm very, very excited. It's the what's next digital discipleship program. And again, it can be accessed by anybody absolutely free at miracleword.com forward slash next. And um, one of the cool things that I'm going to do here uh, shortly is for when we're in meetings and stuff, I'm going to print up some small cards that are just like uh, handout style cards that you can take 10, 20, 30 of them, like business card size that has the information on it so that you can keep it in your purse, keep it in your wallet. If somebody says, hey, I have questions on this, this, or this, it's literally as easy as handing them one of these that has the information where they can access the videos, they can access the podcast and literally grow in their faith no matter where they are. And the cool thing is they don't have to sign up to go somewhere for some class. Not that that's a bad thing, but a lot of people like to do it at their own pace, like to be able to do it at home and, and really take in everything that they're learning. So it's all in one place for everybody. And uh, I'm very, very excited about that. And so finally, we've launched it. The, uh, and, and you know why? I, as you saw in the video, as we're now on television around the world, it's been in my heart. We're not just called to make converts. Jesus called us to make disciples. To make disciples. And so that's what I wanted to talk to you about today is I want to talk to you about the importance of this the importance of discipleship and not when I say discipleship, don't just think about church discipleship. Think about it this way, personal, spiritual growth. In fact, those of you that are watching, I want you to put it in the comments section right now, personal, spiritual growth, write those three words in the comments section. As you're sharing the broadcast, if you're just, uh, logging on, uh, you can check it out. We're People are asking in the comments, what is it? We just announced the launch 
uh, and, and played the promo video for the What's Next digital discipleship program that's now going to go around the world and raise up strong believers in different nations. Um, but put that in, personal spiritual growth. When you think of the topic of discipleship, um, I want you to think of personal spiritual growth. Obviously, that's biblically based, not just like, you know, I'm not really religious. I'm just more spiritual. Not, not like what weird people say. I'm talking about personal spiritual growth that is biblically obtained. It's got to be biblically obtained. And so that's what we're talking about. And personal spiritual growth is not optional, by the way. It is something that we are mandated to do. We are called to grow spiritually. And I want to show you some things in the scripture today that will literally stir you up to grow because you know what's going to be true? Many of you are going to watch these videos and you're going to learn something. You know, you may have been already a Christian for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 30 years. You know what blows my mind? I'll have people from churches that we preach at that will join Miracle Word University and they'll take one of our classes like the one on the Holy Spirit or the one on faith or the one on prayer or whatever it might be. And you know, they'll write me and they'll say, man, I'm so happy that I took this course in Miracle Word U. I've been in church for 25 years and I've never heard some of these things taught. I get that all the time from people that take Miracle Word U courses. Well, I guarantee you that those of you that jump into what's next just for the fun. I mean, you're not newly saved. You just wanted to learn and go through the course. Um, you'll learn things. You'll, you'll be built up. You'll be stirred up. You'll be strengthened. Uh, that's the purpose. It, you should never stop growing as a believer. Personal spiritual growth is continual. I'm literally growing uh, every day. And I mean that like 2020, I grew more than I ever have. 2021, just in the first three months, those of you that joined us, we read the Bible in 90 days. Uh, you know, I've, I've launched into a whole group of new studies. I'm growing now more than I ever have in my whole life. Uh, you should never stop growing personally. And that's the purpose of this is that discipleship, personal spiritual growth, it strengthens you. It causes you to mature in the faith and to be a better leader to others that are coming into the faith. So I want to give you five things to quickly go over today to show you the importance of this, why we're going so hard uh, to not just make converts. We don't want people just praying the prayer. We want people to grow, develop, mature, and be strengthened and equipped for their purpose. Well, let's start with the basic uh, command that we got from Jesus, because obviously that's where anything should begin. Um, yes, you can have it translated into Urdu. For the believers in Pakistan. Absolutely, Robert. Um, and we'll even make the, availables, uh, the, the videos available to you, Robert, if there's a way that you want to download the videos, to submit them to somebody, to have them uh, translated. Uh, we'll, we'll make all that available to you. Contact our ministry and uh, we'll get all that into your hands because we want to see disciples made of all nations. That's the command from Christ. There's my friend in Counter Day, Alan Dadia. Love you, buddy. Um, and so here we are, Matthew 28. We don't want converts only. We want disciples. And there's a difference. There's a difference between just praying a prayer and believing in your heart. There's another thing that's called discipleship. He's not just your savior, but what is he now? Your Lord. What's the difference between a savior and a Lord? 
a savior just saved you. It's like, for example, I use this analogy all the time. What if you were drowning and I reached out, maybe threw a branch to you, you were in a river, whatever it is, and I pulled you up onto the shore. If I just did that, I am your savior. I just saved your life. But because I did that, you're not required to obey whatever I tell you for the rest of your life. I was your savior. I saved your life, but I'm not your Lord. You see, so a savior. Now, here's a good thing I want you to write in the comments. We've said it before. It needs to be said again. Put this in the comments. A savior requires thanks, but a Lord requires obedience. Put that in the comments. A savior requires thanks, but a Lord requires obedience. That's a big distinction. That's a big distinction because there's a lot of people today and they're, they're, they're not strong in their Christianity. Many of them, they may fall away because if all you have is a savior, but you don't submit to a Lord, then you will be taken out by the enemy. You'll be taken out by the enemy. So put that in the comments as well. A savior requires thanks, but a Lord requires obedience. There's a difference. And so that's what we're saying here. I don't just want people praying the salvation prayer and then going back to the same life that they've always been in. I don't want people praying the salvation prayer and then literally returning into their sin or returning into situations that promote sin. Part of discipleship is pulling people, teaching them how to be wise enough to leave even the situations that promote sin, right? And so we look at that and understand uh, that we're commanded to make these disciples. No, let's look at that. It's found in Matthew 28 and we're going to read, uh, let's read verses 16 through 20. This is the gospel of Matthew chapter 28 verses 16 down through 20. Listen to this. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Verse 17. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Verse 18, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Verse 19, catch this now. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, teaching them to observe. This is so important. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, those last two verses, 19 and 20, give us a serious responsibility as Christians. Notice what we're called to do. Make disciples, not converts, disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you to do. So right there, Jesus doesn't just command us to make disciples. He then defines what a disciple is. Do you see that? He doesn't just command us to make them. He then defines what a disciple is. Okay, make a disciple. What's a disciple? Somebody who observes all that I commanded you to do. That means they are also doing it. They're also doing it. So it's the, and, and this is the easiest way to understand it that I always explain to people. A disciple 
is someone who mimics or emulates the disciplines of his master. A disciple is someone who emulates the disciplines of his master. You see that? So you think of like, I explained it this way when I was uh, writing in the book that we just released on um, uh, fasting that we, we released before the new year. Thank you, Ashley. And um, I was talking about understanding that you're supposed to imitate the disciplines of your master, Jesus, or what he commanded us to do. And I use the example because it's easy to understand of martial artists, right? So uh, in, in, in the martial arts world, you might have a master. That's the one who's training you, the one who's teaching you. Um, and I gave the story about there's a man, nobody knows who he is. I mean, very few people would know his name now. Uh, and his name was Ip Man. His last name was actually, that was his, his name was Ip Man. And they called him Master Ip. I-P was his, I guess, first name. Uh, master Ip. Nobody may know who he is now. He was in China. But do you know who one of his disciples was that we all know who he is? Bruce Lee. And everybody knows Bruce Lee because of his uh, uh, former, his discipline of Kung Fu. We know that he was in the movies because of his skills. He was uh, amazing to watch before his early death. But the reason he became so great was because of the master that he had. And what was he doing? He was emulating the disciplines of his master, Master Ip Man. And so when you understand that, it's, it's someone who's got the skills and has, got, has built up the experience, transferring uh, the knowledge down to then show you how to do what you're not doing currently. That's what discipleship is. It's, it's the, those that, have are, that are already there, that have already followed the commands of Jesus, that understand the commands of Jesus, that know how to walk in obedience to the word of God properly. They then raise up those below them that are just coming in and show them how to do it. Do you know, everybody at a job has discipleship. I'm looking at my father-in-law, Larry Heck, who's on, uh, in the, in the comments today. And he worked for the VA hospital for decades and, uh, he worked in the boiler area, but I can remember him saying multiple times that, you know, we've got a new guy in this week and we're training this new guy. We're training this new guy, how to work the boiler area of, uh, the hospital there. And so when you come in, you don't really know specifically how to run that area. You may have worked in that uh, field before, you may have done some of that before, but you're not familiar with the systems of that particular uh, boiler room in that hospital. So what do they do? They take a period of time and they train you on how to do it. Well, what are they literally doing? They're discipling you. They're discipling you on how to be successful in doing what you're doing. Any job has a training period. Any job has a training period. All they're doing is discipling you. They're teaching you the disciplines that are necessary to function successfully in that business. They're, that's exactly what they're doing. And so it's really discipleship. Discipleship's not just necessarily a Christian word. A disciple is a follower and an emulator of the disciplines of their master. And that's what we're doing. It's exactly what they're doing. So you can see that here in Matthew 28, we are commanded. So this is not optional, by the way. We are commanded to make disciples, not converts. I've seen it. Uh, sadly, 
I've seen the churches that don't put any kind of a focus on discipleship and it's detrimental to those that actually pray the salvation prayer. I've heard people say things as stupid as, well, we just want to get them saved. We don't care where they go to church as long as they're going to church. I care. I care where they're going to church. I care who's raising them up. I care who's teaching them. I care who's feeding them. And that's as dumb as say like, you know, well, we, we're having a baby. I don't care what uh, family they grow up in as long as they grow up in a family. I care. There's abusive households and there are caring households. There are play, and of course, if you have the baby, you should raise the baby. <laughs> no question. But notice that. That's as dumb as saying, well, we're just going to have the baby. We don't care who raises the baby. You know, I've got kids, you know, I don't care what they eat as long as they eat. You know, I've dealt with that. I dealt with that yesterday on the broadcast. I don't care what they eat as long as they eat. No, it matters what they eat. <laughs> it matters that they're not having just sugar all day long. It matters, matters that they're not just eating Twinkies and chocolate bars all day long. It matters that they have proper nutrition. My friend, Pastor Chris Palmer, uh, who's a Greek scholar, put out a video today on Instagram uh, talking about what it means to um, have uh, sound doctrine. Um, and in the original Greek, that word actually means healthy, healthy. That proper sound doctrine is healthy doctrine. It's speaking there of proper nutrition that believers are supposed to be getting proper nutrition from their doctrine. So understand something. There is abusive doctrine. We've talked about it plenty of times on this broadcast. We've, we've condemned the, the, the false and destructive hyper grace teaching that teaches that what you do doesn't matter and your actions don't matter. You can live however you want because it's not about you. It's about Jesus and all this garbage that the Bible doesn't teach. And that is abusive and um, heretical. It's really destructive to the believer. Do you know any pastor that I've ever talked to that they've had people from their church uh, start subscribing to that hyper grace doctrine, the Joseph Prince style of grace? Uh, every pastor, not some, every one of them that has spoken to me about their members getting into that teaching, it has always resulted in detrimental bad effects on that believer. He said, many of them, this is what they say. Well, they came to me and told me that now that they understand they're under grace, they no longer need to be faithful to church. They no longer need to pray. Uh, they no longer need to read the Bible faithfully or tithe or give or, you know, all those things are optional if they feel like doing them, because now it's not about what we do. It's about what Jesus did and completely ignoring commands of scripture because of this misunderstanding, this warped, this heretical understanding of what grace is. Well, what is that? That's destructive to the believer. And all these pastors that I've talked with have said, well, many of them have left the church and now many of them don't even go to church. Many of them don't even serve the Lord anymore. Look at the end result of the doctrine you believe. And if it's improper doctrine, guess what it's going to do? It's going to take you further from Jesus rather than closer to Jesus. And yes, Nancy, Joseph Prince does teach that. He does teach that. And others have followed his lead. 
And it's not, it's not scriptural. It's unscriptural and it's destructive. It's abusive to believers, but it feels good. Doesn't it? It sounds good. Makes you feel good, man. That's encouraging. Nothing I do matters. I can do whatever I want because it's not about what I do. It's about what Jesus did. Man, that feels good. I can go out and make as many mistakes as I want, even purposely make mistakes. And it really doesn't matter because Jesus Christ, uh, his blood covers past, present, and future thing, sins. And I don't have to worry about, and you know, that sounds good and it feels good. It feels right. Right. But the problem with that is is the Bible prophesies that in the last days that there would be uh, people who have itching ears. They have itching ears and they'll gather to themselves teachers that will tell them what they want to hear rather than what the Bible actually teaches. And so it's very dangerous and it's destructive to a believer, or as we're saying here, abusive. It's abusive and it causes Christians I've told you the story before of that young man that was in the tent. Uh, we, we had a tent. My father held a tent meeting in Lexington, Kentucky. And on the tent grounds where we had our big tent up, there was a homeless man who had a little pup tent up that he was camping there, had nowhere to live. And on the final night of the revival, he came to the altar and got saved. Afterward, he told us it was not his first time accepting Jesus. It was not his first time he was rededicating his life to Christ. And he said that um, he had been saved previously, filled with the Holy Ghost and called to preach, went to Bible school and began to study for the ministry and people that were in the Bible school, other students, uh, basically lured him back into partying on the weekends, smoking weed, drinking, getting drunk. And he said to them, I, I thought we weren't supposed to do this anymore um, now that uh, we're Christians. And they said, no, you don't understand grace and we're kings and priests. And they went through that whole false doctrine. Um, and, and basically he went back into not living for God anymore, became an alcoholic, dropped out of school, became homeless, destroyed his life. Joshua was asking on YouTube, is it fair to say Jesus blood covers only past sins? No, it only covers the sins that they are, that it's appropriated for. So it's available for forgiveness. This is the thing that has to be understood. It, right, correct. So understand this. It has to be understood that Jesus' blood, unless you're a universalist and believe that Jesus' blood covered every sin and that everyone will go back to heaven at the end and no one will be in hell, which is a belief people have, which is also heretical. So to, to believe that Jesus' blood covers everything, well, it can, but it has to be appropriated, meaning... Uh, if somebody, for example, if somebody uh, confesses that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart, God raised him from the dead, the spirits drawn them to salvation, then what happens? The blood of Jesus is effective for that person, but it's not effective for the person that does not receive Christ. But then after we're saved, then here's the question. Is it possible for a Christian to sin? Yes. If it wasn't possible for a Christian to sin, Paul wasted a whole lot of parchment writing back to all the churches in the epistles and encouraging them, don't sin anymore. Don't sin anymore. You're not under the law. You're not under your flesh. But then think about this. What happens if a Christian does sin? Is it still right to just say, well, you know what? Blood of Jesus already covered me. I'm good to go. I can sin and it doesn't matter because I've already accepted his sacrifice. No, no. First John one nine tells us if we'll confess our sins, 
He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if we've committed sins, and that's written to Christians, it's not written as Joseph Prince teaches to Gnostics or some other group, it's written to Christians. And if Christians sin, we're to repent, we're to confess our sins, repent, he'll forgive us. But unrepentant sin, continuing on an unrepentant sin, will lead you away from Christ. And so you have to take, again, as someone just wrote in the comments, responsibility. See how these doctrines can sound good and can be deceptive, but if we don't look at the word of God as a whole and understand that our personal spiritual growth should come from what the Bible teaches, not just what sounds good or based on one passage of scripture or you know something that somebody, a hodgepodge of scriptures that people put together out of context, It's very dangerous because then you've got people doing whatever they want, which was never Christ's desire and it was never the apostles desire. And it's not how the early church functioned. In fact, um, if you study the works of the apostle Paul, do you know what he said? If you've got people in your church that sin and keep on sinning and they won't receive correction for their sinning, warn them once, warn them twice, and then cast them out of the church and turn them over to to Satan for the destruction of their soul. Josh said, I know someone that thinks once saved, always saved. I've tried talking to them, but it's like beating a dead horse. And you know what's interesting is that we've been been told that that's how uh, Baptists believe, or Presbyterians, Reformed believers, that they believe that the same thing hyper-grace teachers believe, and they don't. They believe that if you are saved, then you will continue on in righteous actions for the rest of your life. And you should, you should. Jesus taught that you'll know them by their fruit. Can rotten fruit come out of a healthy tree or can healthy fruit come out of a rotten tree? So if you are saved, you should produce righteous actions, holy actions. That's true. What they're saying is true. He that endures to the end shall be saved. But we've been tricked into thinking that once saved, always saved is something that Calvinists believe. And in that sense, it's not. They believe that if you are saved, you'll live holy, which is what I believe. If you're saved, you'll, you'll attempt to live a holy life. And that if you make a mistake, you'll ask for forgiveness and continue back in holiness. But this whole thought process of your actions don't matter is not in scripture. It's not in scripture. Paul taught against that about his own life in 1 Corinthians 9, 27. And he, and he said, I put my body under on a daily basis so that after having preached to others, I myself will not become disqualified. So even Paul understood, if I don't control my flesh nature and let the spirit guide me and rule me, I'll become disqualified at the end and I'll miss out on heaven even though I preach to others. And so that's the important thing. And uh, it's very important to know that. So, Jesus said, disciple nations, teach them what I've taught you and to observe those commands, observe those commands. Um, Put this in the comments. I must obey the commands of Christ. In fact, say it this way. I must obey the commands of scripture because I don't want people to get it twisted and think that we just need to read the gospels and only obey the things Jesus said in red letters because there's people that teach that too. Stupid. Because Jesus is the word made flesh. So anything in the Bible is inspired by God, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Anything in scripture is breathed out of God's mouth. I must obey 
the commands of scripture. I must, I don't have a choice. I must. And so we've been commanded to make disciples. Number two, the second thing I want you to see is personal growth uh, spiritually is all throughout the Bible. That's true, Carrie. So it's funny that people will call somebody a false prophet that teaches something they don't like, like, you know, giving or what healing, but then they have no problem listening to someone that teaches heresies like, like we're just talking about that require, you no faith, no faith and make you comfortable in sin. Exactly true. There's my man, Jonathan Fanfan. Love you. I must obey the commands of scripture. Have to do it. And when we look through the scripture, we will see that all of, not, not just uh, the church, the apostles and Jesus increased in personal uh, spiritual growth. You'll see it. First of all, you say, really, Jesus increased in personal growth and spiritual growth? Absolutely. He was modeling to us how we're supposed to do it as men and women on the earth. That's why he took the form of a man. Took the form of a man. Look at Luke 2. In Luke chapter 2, we see it modeled by even Jesus in the 52nd chapter. Luke 2, 52. The Bible says, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with man. So you see that he wasn't just getting older. That's what, you know, increased in stature. One translation says he increased in years. He was not just getting older as Jesus was getting older. He was increasing in wisdom. You see that. And he was increasing in favor with God and with men. Notice this comes right after Jesus, uh, as he was 12 years old in the temple, asking questions of the religious leaders and blowing their minds, blowing their minds. And what was happening? He was studying the scripture. He was increasing in wisdom. He was increasing in favor. Even Jesus modeled personal spiritual growth to all of his followers. He modeled it. He said, you know, and then he goes on to say the disciples not greater than the master. If we didn't need to grow spiritually and Jesus did, that means we're greater than Jesus and we're not greater than Jesus. <laughs> if Jesus needed to increase in wisdom and stature and favor, so do we. He was modeling that to us. And so we see throughout his life, of course, in the Jewish tradition, even the children were learning the Torah, learning the law, learning the prophets, going through it and literally were masters of it. You know, even today, if you go to Hebrew school, they've got you reading uh, ancient Hebrew, you're reading the Torah, uh, all of those things. And there you come out knowing the scriptures uh, if you go to Hebrew school. And so that's what Jesus would have been doing, studying, studying, studying the scripture and uh, re revealing his own literally learning about his own nature as a man, learning about his Messiahship, seeing the messianic prophecies, realizing it's about him. He had to do it by faith. He had to do it as a man. He was all God and all man at the same time. It's amazing. It's an amazing thought, but Jesus grew personally. Jesus grew in spirit. He had spiritual growth take place in his life. Well, go on further than that. The disciples grew. The disciples of Jesus grew spiritual growth. Let's look at a Luke chapter 11, just go a few verses or chapters over and look at this. Uh, you can read when you have time, uh, verses one through 13, it's all talking about, 
uh, you know, the Lord's prayer, but I love this verse one, listen to this. Luke 11, one. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And then what happened? Jesus started teaching them. One of the things that blows my mind, I know Mackenzie, she said, imagine reading Isaiah 53 and thinking that's going to be me, the suffering servant. Imagine reading prophecies about the Messiah and realizing that's going to be my life. But I want you to see this. Jesus had these disciples and they came to understand and realize after all they saw him do, man, the basis of his miracles and his power and all that he does is his prayer life. Apparently they're realizing that it's his prayer life. So what's the question they asked him? They wanted to grow spiritually to be more like their master Jesus. So what did they ask? Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And then Jesus, knowing that they needed spiritual growth, begins to teach them how to pray. Hallelujah. And here's the real key about it. The disciples grew not only in their spiritual life and prayer and others, they grew in faith. They grew in faith because remember, the disciples became the apostles. They became the apostles. So what does that mean? They had to go from, in some places in scriptures you saw, little faith. Some scriptures, no faith. There were times Jesus was questioning where their faith was. How is it that you have no faith? O ye of little faith, where is your faith? Right? But then they became the apostles of the early church and operated in great faith. Great faith. Look at Peter walking down the road, his shadow healing people. I mean, look at these men. Look at what they did in the early church. Look at John. Look at, the, look at these others. They grew in faith. The, the, the apostles, the disciples had personal spiritual growth. They were discipled by Jesus himself. And so notice this. They started low faith and there were times he rebuked them. But notice, I want to make a point here and I want you to catch it. If personal spiritual growth was not important, if it was just relative, if it was just arbitrary question, why would Jesus rebuke his disciples for being at a low level personally? See, if it didn't matter, if personal growth was arbitrary or optional, then what's the point of Jesus rebuking them? And he did rebuke them multiple times for their low level of manifestation, Mark 9, couldn't cast the demon out of that young man, and he rebukes them for it. You owe oh, ye of little faith. How long do I have to be here with you? He's asking them. And they asked him later, well, how come we couldn't cast that demon out? You know what he said to them? Because this kind of demon, there's levels of demonic power, this kind of demon will not come out except by prayer. What, what was he saying to them? He was saying that you're not engaging in spiritual disciplines nearly enough because I cast that demon out with no issue, but you couldn't do it. And he said, here's why. It's your unbelief and this kind doesn't come out except by 
prayer. You've got to have a determined prayer life. You've got to have a strong prayer life to rise up in that level of power. What is a prayer life? A prayer life is part of your discipline as a disciple of Christ, as a follower of Christ. Christ prayed and had a prayer life. We're supposed to pray and have a prayer life. See what I mean? So when we emulate the disciplines of our master, who is Jesus, then the results begin to come. The thing is, people get uh, discouraged because the results aren't there. But you know what? If you really were to look and become introspective, the disciplines aren't there. I can't sit around and get angry because my biceps aren't getting bigger if I never go to the gym and work them. Can you imagine how crazy that would be? Is to get up in front of the mirror every day and look at those biceps and just cry and be discouraged and be depressed and say, these biceps never grow. They're they're, they're always the same size. When I flex, it looks the same always. But then I never take practical steps to go to the gym and lift weights and focus specifically on those biceps. Everybody else would think me insane to complain if I wasn't working them. Now, if I am, now watch this. If I am working them and they're still not growing, what do I need? A trainer who's going to watch my form. And when he watches my workout form, he's going to look at how is Ted curling? Am I swinging my back? Because if I'm swinging my back, my form is off and the biceps won't grow. They won't grow. If I'm lifting weight that's not enough to actually put a stress or a strain on those muscles, they're not going to grow. So the trainer is going to look at me and say, you're doing 50 reps of curls, far too many reps to grow the muscle. You need to do more weight, less reps. Then he's going to watch my form. Oh, you're swinging your back. Stop doing that. Lean your back up against the wall, bend your knees and then, then curl so that it's all bicep. Use a bench, put your elbows over the top and use that to isolate the muscles. And when the trainer, what's the trainer doing? He's discipling me. He's already got big biceps, huge. And so I'll say, man, I want biceps like yours. I'm not going to pick a trainer and pay a trainer that's got a stick for an arm. I say, man, I want to really look like you. If he knew what he was doing, he'd be big, but he doesn't know. I'm not going to pick a trainer that's obese and overweight and has a horrible diet. Why? I don't want to look like you. So why are we discipled by Christ? We want to look like him. He's the example, see, and we are following that example. But then also, catch this, the Lord puts people on the earth as physical examples. That's why you have a pastor. That's why you come to this broadcast and you listen to this teaching. It's why you have others in the body of Christ that are doing the work of the ministry. God has put into the church apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. What, for what purpose? For the perfecting of the saints, Ephesians chapter four, for the perfecting of the saints. Those ministers, everyone needs a pastor. I'm a minister. I don't go around saying, well, because I'm a a preacher, I don't need a pastor. I'm a, I'm an evangelist. I don't need a pastor. No, I need a pastor. My pastor is Bishop Rick Thomas. Before that, my pastor was Pastor Terry Shuttlesworth. Before that, my pastor was Pastor Kenneth Hagin. Before that, my pastor was Pastor Tim Shuttlesworth. I need a pastor. 
even to this day, we don't get out of our necessity or our need for someone to speak the word of God into us, to raise us up, to train us, to teach us because God set it up that way. So notice what God does. He doesn't just say, well, follow Christ. He gives us men and women to follow, to emulate their teaching and to emulate their example to be perfected in the faith. You see what I mean? And so Jesus grew, the disciples grew, and then the early church grew. In fact, go with me to Acts chapter two. I want to show you something very cool. The question, what caused the early church to grow? It's a great question. What what caused the early church to grow? We're going to be looking at Acts 2, 42 through 47. Acts 2, 42 through 47. And Mackenzie makes a great point in the, in the Facebook comments. You can't see it if you're on Twitter or YouTube, but let me read it. She said, choosing the pastor you're submitting to is a huge deal. Nothing to take lightly. And that's the point that I was making at the beginning of this broadcast when people say, well, you know, we just get them saved. We don't care where they go to church. I care where they go to church. I care. We were at a church one time. This blew my mind. I mean, it blew my mind like I was taking LSD. That's how much it blew my mind. And the altar call was given. We were guests. And the altar was packed with people receiving Christ as their Savior. Receiving Christ. And then when the prayer was done and we said amen, there was zero people on staff at the church, ushers, greeters, anybody, nobody took these new believers to get their information, to give them any resources. They didn't get a Bible. They didn't get a next steps book. They didn't get signed up for a next steps class. They, they, there was no way, there was no way to follow up. Hear what I'm saying. There was no way to follow up on any one of those lives at lunch later. The pastor was asked, I noticed nobody took the names of the new believers. Nobody uh, gave them information. Nobody gave them a Bible. Nobody gave them next steps, anything. And you know what the pastor's response was? Well, yeah, if they're supposed to be here, they'll come back. (laughs) That was his answer. If they're supposed to be here, they'll come back. And then he said this, which totally made me want to throw up all over his face. And I probably should have, and then punched it. He said, (laughs) oh my gosh. (laughs) This is what I I really probably should have done. He said, well, you know, if in our church, if people don't get saved under the pastor's preaching, we really don't count it. That, That is honest to God what this jack and apes said at the lunch table. Unless they get saved under the pastor's preaching, we really don't count it because it's not under the vision of this house. That's really, what kind of pride, you'll answer to God for that. What kind of pride does it take to have that kind of a response about people getting saved? That happened. That happened. Not to someone I know, to me. I was there. This isn't secondhand information. I was at the table. 
blew my mind. Blew my mind. And so you look at that. That's one of those situations. We don't care where they go to church as long as they go. No, I care. I want you to think about this. I was looking at a map yesterday of Paul's missionary journeys. Okay. Paul's missionary journeys. When Paul wrote the book of Romans, it was a letter to the Romans. He was in Greece. Okay. Pull up a map and look at the map and imagine being in first century times. First century. He probably wrote it between 55 and 57 AD is when he wrote the letter. Think about this. He's in Greece. He's taking an offering from those people uh, in Corinth to take back to the believers in Jerusalem. Look at a map. And he's writing a letter to the Romans and saying to you, I'm going to come be with you. He'd never met any of them. And he's like, I'm going to come and be with you to impart spiritual gifts to you. Romans 1 11 to disciple you. And so he said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to drop this offering off back in Jerusalem. And then on my way to Spain, I'm going to come see you. Imagine this now in first century Christianity, he has to get on a boat in Athens or, you know, where Corinth, whatever, wherever he was on the coast. And he has to get on a boat. He has to sail along the coast all the way back to Jerusalem in Israel, drop the offering off. And then he has to travel all the way back from Jerusalem past Greece, all of that up into that area to Italy on his way to Spain and has to travel all the way back there to get to Rome as a, as a layover point just to get to those believers in that church that had never had an apostle come to them. Do you realize at the time the book of Romans was written, no apostles had visited the churches in Rome. None. None. The church had only been around for maybe 20 years. The the Christian church at large had only been around for like 20 years. And no apostle had gotten to Rome yet to the churches that had been established after the day of Pentecost. Most scholars believe that Jewish believers that were saved on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem traveled back to Italy and planted the church there. And the churches were made up of Jewish and Gentile believers and no apostles had visited. Paul said, I want to come and be a part. And I want to meet you. I want to impart to you. I want to disciple you. So here's the point I'm making. Paul was willing. Somebody please do a Google for me. That's watching Google how far it is mileage wise from Jerusalem to Rome. Do somebody just do a mileage (laughs) test and put it in the comments for me. I want to know. I want to know how many miles the trip is from Jerusalem in Israel to Rome in Italy. Because here's a man, the apostle Paul, that's willing to not only, and he had to do it one and a half times. He had to go to Jerusalem from, from Greece, then go all the way back to Rome. And yeah, went through hell, shipwrecked, stone beaten with rods, all, all of that. There's my, my daughter so fast. Look at that. 2,513.9 miles. Getting different numbers here. 2170, 2513. So Lynn Ann's giving me the same as my daughter. 2513. 
And so, yeah, nautical miles versus on the road. I'm sure on the road, it's 2513. Nautical miles, it's probably 1434. So that if he just went straight across the sea, now imagine that. They couldn't do that back then anyway, because imagine the technology. They had to sail along the coast as much as possible because they didn't have like cruise ships and they didn't have like big deep sea uh, uh, boats. So you think about the fact that in first century church, Paul had to travel 14, or, or let's say Stephanie's saying nautical miles, 1300 miles in the ocean, in the ocean, just to come see these guys. And here's a pastor that they're already in his church and they won't, he won't disciple them and they're there in the sanctuary. Paul is willing to travel 1,300 miles in 57 AD to go disciple people by ship. By ship. And you remember, obviously, you know what happened, right? Before he could get there, he was taken into chains. He was now a, a, a prisoner. And then he goes on his final journey as a prisoner and he shipwrecked, Acts 28, lands on the island of Malta, you know, and he's there and then they continue on to Rome where he stays preaching until his death and all of that. So he couldn't even get there until he was a prisoner in chains, writes his last letter that he ever wrote from Rome. Second Timothy goes back to Timothy. He says, I've run my race. I've finished my course. All the stuff that he's doing. You think about that. Oh, it'd be longer than that, Maddie. 569 hours walking. It'd, be, it'd have to be longer than that. 569 hours. How many days is that? I mean, maybe it would, but I mean, imagine that here's a pastor that wouldn't disciple the people in his own sanctuary. Didn't even care enough. Didn't even care enough. And here's the apostle Paul who's willing to travel 1300 miles by ship just to get to one, just to get to one, one congregation. Or if the congregations were spread throughout the city, you imagine the love for God's people. The love, you can tell Lenan's making the point in his letters. He often mentioned how he longed for them, longed to see them. He says that to the Romans. I long to see you, that I may impart some spiritual gift to you, to strengthen you. Romans 1.11. They were growing. They were new. The church had just launched. He had a heart to do what Jesus commanded, disciples of all nations. It's the powerful thought. The church grew. Well, here's the question. What caused the church to grow? Let me read it quickly. It's Acts 2, 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. There's the first thing listed. First thing lifted, listed. They devoted themselves. Who? The Christians. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. One translation says the apostles' doctrine. And the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayer. So the Lord's Supper and prayer and awe came upon every soul and many signs and wonders were done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common. So they were givers. You can know from the book of Acts that they would sell what they have. Nobody was in need because they were givers. They made sure nobody went without in the Christian community. If you're hungry, we'll feed you. If you need clothes, we'll buy them. If you need a place to sleep, we'll buy it. Those that had money sold what they had and everything was in common. They made sure that they were all blessed. Verse 45, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Verse 46, day by day, attending the temple together. 
So what was another reason for growth? Faithful church attendance and breaking bread in their homes. That's not the Lord's Supper. That's actually them being, fellowshipping with one another, having unity in the body of Christ. This is Acts 2, 42 through 47. Breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. So every day, more Christians join the church because of this, because of the way they were doing it, the way they were conducting themselves. Now go with me to first Corinthians four. I'll read you this. Paul knew the churches had to follow his, his disciplines, the disciplines of Christ. So what did he say? First Corinthians four, 16 and 17, put it in your notes, put it in the comments. Then I'm going to give you five, then we're going to pray. 1 Corinthians 4, 16 and 17. Listen, Paul writing. I urge you then, be imitators of me. You see that? He's commanding them. Imitate me, the way I live, what I do, how I pray, how I live, how I study, how I preach. Imitate me. Verse 17. That is why... I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ. So what's he saying? Even when I can't come be with you and disciple you, I'll send my sons in the gospel, my disciples, they'll come to your church and they'll teach you how to live like I live. They'll teach you how to imitate me. They'll teach you my ways in Christ. You see that? Twice in Corinthians, He encourages them to follow me as I follow Christ twice. That's how important it is. And he said, if I can't come teach you personally, I will send one of my sons, whether that be Timothy, whether that be Titus, whoever, Onesimus, whatever, to come and teach you how to live like I live. Why? Because Paul understood the necessity of disciples in the church, following the commands of Christ, following Uh, these discipleship steps to become powerful, strong, effective believers. That's the whole point. And then let me give you this last thing uh, in Philemon. So if you go to the book of Hebrews, if you don't know where Philemon is, go back to Hebrews and go right before it. And right before uh, the book of Hebrews is the book of Philemon. Uh, It's one short letter from the apostle Paul to Philemon. And one of the things that he's uh, writing about the main thing is about Onesimus, his child. Uh, so Paul's speaking of Onesimus as his now son in the gospel. It's his son in the gospel. What does that mean? Paul discipled Onesimus. Paul discipled Onesimus. And it's a good thing that he did because Onesimus wasn't any good for anything until Paul discipled him. This is the important thing. That's the final, final thing I'm going to tell you today. But your purpose and your usefulness stems from your discipleship. I'm going to say that again because people don't like to hear it. Your purpose and your usefulness stem from your discipleship. I want you to write that in the comments. Every person that's watching, my usefulness, my purpose stem from my discipleship. How much you've been discipled determines how useful you are, how you can fulfill your purpose. I wrote about this extensively 
in the book Further Faster. If you don't have Further Faster, you need to buy it. It's about impartation. It's about the power of how God accelerates your purpose through the force of impartation. You can get it at shop.miracleword.com or digital platforms. But your, all of your usefulness, all of your purpose stems from your discipleship. Put that in the comments. It's so important. So important. As I explained before, why would your job train you if it didn't matter if you were trained? The training helps you to be useful. So now look at Philemon. I'll read you what he said. Uh, I'll start in verse 10. Philemon 1.10. He's speaking to Philemon about Onesimus. Look what he said. I appeal to you for my child. He calls him my child. But it's interesting because he doesn't use the word child in the Greek to mean my actual child. He, didn't, he, didn't, he and his wife didn't birth Onesimus. It's not the word huios, which means son, child, or descendant. It's the word technon which means like a disciple or like a, a student. It's, it's a, a word that's used between teacher, student. My technon, my, my son, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. So Paul's saying that while I was imprisoned, I was discipling him. I was discipling him. Now look what he says in verse 11. This is funny to me, but it's also the point of this last part. Formerly, he was useless to you. <laughs> So Paul's being very plain about the fact Onesimus was a useless man. (laughs) He was useless to Philemon. He said, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. So what just happened? Because of Paul's discipleship training, Onesimus went from useless to useful. Do you see it? Paul discipled him. Paul became his father while he was in prison and Onesimus went from useless to useful. And he says this in verse 12, I'm sending him back to you now, sending my very heart. Why is he saying I'm sending my very heart? Because because of his discipleship, he had poured himself into Onesimus. He'd poured himself out into this man, poured in teaching, poured in training, poured in all these things. Exactly. Rock solid faith at his tabernacle. Pastor Michael Spencer has developed rock solid faith so that people can be discipled and become useful. He said, I would have been glad, verse 13, to keep him with me so that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. And so he goes on to say, he's become so useful, I'd love to keep him here with me, but he really belongs back with you. So I'm sending him back to you as a changed man, sending him back to you, not as a useless man, as a useful man. This is what discipleship does, is it transitions you from useless to useful, to be impactful, to be effective, to be equipped for your specific purpose. That's why I'm so excited about the What's Next program, is because it's just an entrance. It's not exhaustive. It's not meant to be exhaustive. This is not meant to be everything you'll ever need to know for the rest of your life about being a Christian. It starts people off answering the most basic questions that need to be answered about Christianity. That's what we need right off the bat. And of course, we have other resources to put in their hands, but it's like, I'll give you a practical example. Have you ever seen before when somebody that's new to church gets saved 
I mean, I want you to raise your hand in the comments if you've seen this happen. That let's say it's a Sunday morning, a new visitor, somebody that just started coming to the church, answers the altar call and gets saved. And then the next week, they're back again. And when the altar call is given, the same person gets out of their seat and comes to the altar and gets saved again the second week. And then the third week, they feel the anointing and they're down at the altar again getting saved. Lift your hand in the comments if you've seen this happen. Liz Mendez has seen it. Others have seen it happen. It's a new believer who feels the anointing, feels the pull, feels the call, and comes to the altar week after week after week. Well, why are they doing that? Do you have to get saved every week? No. No, you don't. And the reason that they're doing it is because they feel the pull, they feel the anointing, but nobody has explained to them the concept of what it means to be righteous, which is why this is the first episode in the new What's Next uh, discipleship program. The first video that we do is on righteousness. Nobody has explained that once you're saved, you don't have to keep getting saved all over again every time you make a mistake. Just repent. Just ask the Lord for forgiveness and he'll forgive you and you continue on living for Christ. Nobody's explained to them that you went from death unto life. God now placed you in right standing with himself. And if you make a mistake, there's forgiveness, but you don't have to keep giving your heart to Jesus every week at the altar and continually getting saved. I saw a book at the Christian bookstore on the, uh, on the shelf. It was called stop accepting Jesus into your heart or no, it's called stop asking Jesus into your heart. Basically dealing with the fact you don't have to get saved every week. And these are practical things that people will have to understand, you know, and if nobody explains it to you, if no, if there's no discipleship, you'll keep on doing these things or you'll keep on feeling unworthy, even though he took your sins and gave you his righteousness. And the devil, he works hard against new believers. You're not really saved. You're not really changed. You're not really forgiven. You're still the same mess you always were. All these different things. And then what do they do? They feel guilty. They feel ashamed. Why? Because the accuser of the brethren keeps reminding them of things that God forgave them from. And so if nobody explains righteousness to a new believer, they won't recognize what it means to be a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That he who knew no sin was made to be sin so that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. He took our sins, gave us his righteousness. It's powerful. But see, those are the basic practical things we're teaching in the What's Next digital discipleship program and on the podcast. We want people to understand what it means to be a Christian. And so, yeah, Yanil said, I can't tell you how many times I did that growing up week after week. Many people did. Many people did. And herein lies the great need for powerful discipleship for believers. And I'm so happy. I mean, part of what you're doing by coming to this broadcast every morning is being discipled through the word that we're teaching here. And I'm thankful that you're here. I'm thankful that you're growing. I'm thankful that you're being equipped. I'm thankful that you're anointed and have a purpose. I thank God for you daily. Amen. Not to try to sound 
like the apostle, but I give thanks for you when I've heard about your true faith in Christ. I honestly do give thanks for you. I am thankful for you. And I want to pray for you here at the end of this broadcast. I want you to use, listen to me. I want you to use the what's next program. Yes, watch it. You can watch it yourself. You can listen to it, but I want you to use it for other people that are newly saved, friends that you have and that you know that have questions. Thank you, Janine, for sowing a seed. Thank you, thank you for, for doing that. Use this program for people who you know need to grow in the things of God. Maybe you got people in your church that are, you know, they just got saved, they're kind of immature in the faith, whatever that might be. Use it. Share it with them. Go to miracleword.com forward slash next and let them jump in. Share the podcast with them. We've got the link that goes directly to the podcast on the website. All of that shows what videos that we have, what episodes. Use it. And it will be a blessing to you and those that you love. And even those of you, if you're watching, you're listening, you're a pastor, you can use it in your church. I, I don't mind. Use it and, and, and make it yours and let people grow in the faith. Let me pray for you. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, I'm so thankful for, that you've given us the ability not just to see people saved, but to be raised up in the faith, raised up and discipled and strengthened. Thank you that you're using every one of us to do the work of the ministry. Thank you that you've positioned us in these final moments of time for what you've called us to do. We will press in before it's too late to see this generation changed. We're making disciples of all nations. Lord, thank you for every member of the Victory Tribe. I pray that you'd give them wisdom beyond their years. I pray that you'd give them strength and boldness beyond anything that they've known in 2021. Open doors of opportunity for every one of us to preach your gospel, to see souls saved, friends and family changed. Let our churches explode in growth in 2021. We thank you. It's the year that the local church would abound, would abound, will make great impact in our cities. Let us be emboldened and be fired up to push back against the forces of the spirit of antichrist and to establish your covenant on the earth, Lord. We thank you for it. We give you praise and we give you glory. We ask you now, and I want you to join your faith with me at this point in this prayer. I'm asking every Victory Tribe member listening, watching live or on the replay, join your faith with me now. Let's dedicate this program. Let's dedicate this What's Next discipleship program for souls. Let's dedicate it for those that are coming into the kingdom to the Lord. Father, Thank you for giving us the ability to make these available around the world. We now, as the Victory Tribe, ask you, use these episodes to raise people up in faith. Use these episodes. Put your anointing. We thank you that your anointing is always on your word, but let people, let their eyes be open, their ears. Let the spirit of wisdom and revelation come upon them, that the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened. Use these resources to strengthen believers all over the world. Let it go into places that I can't even go, that I've never been, that we may never travel to. And let it cause people to be so encouraged, so strengthened that they'll begin to make an impact. Raise up evangelists, raise up pastors, raise up teachers. Lord, raise up prophets and apostles. Use these teachings from your word to raise up strong members of the body around the world. We dedicate it to you. We thank you, Lord, for using us to make it available. Let it make a great impact before Jesus comes. In Jesus' name, if you believe it, throw some hands up, throw some fire in the comments, 
and thank the Lord that he's giving us the ability to touch lives around the world. You know, it's exciting to me because this is what you're a part of. You're a part of Miracle Word Ministries. This is what you're a part of. Not just live crusades, not just these broadcasts that go around the world, not just the television that goes around the world, but now you're a part of discipling people around the world. When you sow into this ministry, you're sowing into a ministry that is discipling men and women around the world. And I'm encouraging you to partner with us. Carolyn and I have determined we're going to run in 2021 like we never have. We're going to see people impacted and changed like we never have. Partner with us. Would you stand with us beginning today? Whatever the Lord tells you to do. Maybe it's $100 a month. Maybe it's $500 a month. Maybe the Lord's speaking to you and you have the ability to sow $1,000 a month. Maybe you feel to sow a large seed, $5,000 one time, $10,000, $20,000, to reach the world with the gospel of Christ. Do what the Lord's telling you today. Step out by faith. Time's running out. There's nothing better to attach your wealth and your finances to than the gospel of Christ. That's $5,000, that's $10,000 that could not be better spent anywhere else. Nowhere else than to see souls come in. I'm going to tell you, uh, we're in the final stages now of putting together that elite miracle word, elite study pack, as we're talking about. It'll help to further disciple you, but we're including three of the best resources that we've ever had. The Dake Study Bible, the Life Application Study Bible, the Net Study Bible with 60,000 translators notes, and two powerful books on Bible study. Knowing Scripture by R.C. Sproul and uh, How to Read the Bible um, for All It's Worth by Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart. Two of the greatest books on studying the Bible with three great study Bibles in a custom package that we're putting together for those of you that are sowing $5,000 or more into this ministry. For those sowing $1,000 or more, we sent out a bunch of these today. Uh, we're sending you the Life Application Study Bible in genuine leather. And for those of you that are partnering with us this month of April, $85 or more, we're going to send you this powerful book by Smith Wigglesworth, Ever Increasing Faith. Um, and if you'd like to receive this for your partnership uh, seed of $85 or more, you can go to the link on the screen, miracleword.com forward slash offer and uh, sign up. We'll get it to you. The magazine's going out in a couple days as well. We want you to get it at your house. Other cool announcements that we're getting ready to give in the magazine, two brand new things that I can think of right now that we want you to know about. So if you've not yet uh, subscribed to the Miracle Word quarterly magazine, go to miracleword.com forward slash live and uh, fill out the form and we'll send this to you, not only digitally, but we'll get you a hard copy. If you're overseas, we'll send it instantly to you when it's released digitally via email. And that'll be available to everybody. We love you guys. If you just logged on, you didn't get a chance to see the promo, uh, we're going to play it again in just a moment, but uh, don't forget this coming Friday is our special communion and prayer service. So 10.30 a.m., Carolyn will be with me. We're going to be 
uh, taking communion together. We want you to send your prayer requests to us, miracleword.com forward slash prayer, and we will get them. We'll print them out. We'll have them here to lay hands on and to pray for you and your family. Don't miss this Friday. Uh, it's going to be a powerful service together before we go into the weekend and I'm leaving for Michigan, but we want to do it together. And so send your prayer request to the link on the screen. It's going to be a powerful day. Once again, the new kids stuff is up. MiracleWordKids.com. Confidence is today's video, plus a downloadable Bible study. All of it is available not only on the website and YouTube, but our app, the brand new updated, facelifted, super amazing looking Miracle Word app that's available in any app store, Apple or Google Play. And uh, again, this final thing that I wanted to say, Miracle Word, it's the What's Next Digital Discipleship program and podcast. And uh, we love you. Once again, as, for, as we go, here's the promo video. I'll see you tomorrow morning, 10.30 a.m. Be blessed. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.